We've been studying the life of David and how interesting it has been. Uh, I don't know about you, but I've really enjoyed the fact that I can relate to him in a lot of ways. Certainly his imperfections uh, certainly make it clear to me. And we've we've come as far as chapter 19, verse 9, and tonight we're just going to kind of jump right into it, and our introduction will kind of happen as we look at verses 9 and 10. So in verse 9 it says this, 2 Samuel chapter 19, verse 9, now all the people were in a dispute throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, the king saved us from the hand of our enemies, he delivered us from the hand of the Philistines, and now he has fled from the land because of Absalom. But Absalom, whom we anointed over us, has died in battle. Now, therefore, why do you say nothing about bringing back the king? You see, what we read here is there's a dispute going on in the nation of Israel. There's a problem, if you will. And uh, it's a rather simple problem. The people, David was the king over the nation of Israel. He was placed there by God. But the people, the majority of them decided, well, we don't really want David as our king anymore. We want Absalom as our king. Absalom was a good-looking young man, was David's third son, in fact. And the people came behind Absalom. They backed him and forced David to flee Jerusalem so there wouldn't be a battle there, so he, he wouldn't be killed there. And uh, Absalom and his men, as they gathered, they pursued David out into the wilderness. And, well, things didn't really go as planned, did they? Because if you were here the last couple of weeks, you know, as Absalom came against David in the wilderness, well, David prevailed. David's men won. Absalom found himself killed. And that presented a problem for the nation Israel. The king that we backed just lost to the king that we threw out. Hmm. It's a low point in David's life, but it's certainly a problem going on in there. We would expect David to march right back into Jerusalem as the king and, say, and basically force everybody to come underneath of his hand because that's what kings did. We would expect him to have a procession into the nation of Israel, have a whole line of people coming behind him, a, vic, a, you know, a party, if you will, being victorious in battle. But what we're going to find out is that's not what David does. We're going to find that David doesn't impose his rule over anybody. He doesn't. He doesn't impose his rule over. But that's what conquering kings are supposed to do, but that's not what what David did. And we'll find out as we study in this, and there's going to be some great application through this tonight. I like that. David was victorious in the desert. He's defeated the king that the people placed over themselves, but he will not force himself back into being king again. What does he want? He wants them to ask him to be king again. You see, because they already understood what was going on in his life. They knew that he had defeated their enemies. They wrote, the king saved us from the hand of our enemies. He delivered us from the hand of the Philistines. And now he's fled because of Absalom. They knew what he is capable of. They knew that he was a good king and he was a capable king. But he would not impose his rule over them. Man, that sounds like Jesus Christ, doesn't it? Think about this with me for a second. The people of Israel had set themselves up a false king, a king that was not ordained by God. This king Absalom was running the country, running their life, but it wasn't God's plan. They didn't want God's king. They didn't want David as king. They wanted Absalom as king. But now their false king had fallen. King Absalom had had fallen rather quickly. And as I began to think about that, I thought, you know, I think there's sometimes in our lives where we set up kings, we set up things to rule over us, and it's not ordained by God. We should, in fact, as Christians, be allowing Jesus to rule over us, but sometimes that's not always the case. And just like they did with King Absalom, we do the very same thing. Do we, do you, do I, do we set up for ourselves false kings other than the one God would have ruling over us? You bet you do. 
Sometimes it's you, yourself. You've set yourself up as king. My flesh is the one that's ruling over me. What I want, what I say, what I do, I'm the one that's ruling. Nobody's telling me what to do. I'm the one that's in charge of me. That's not the way that a Christian should be. A Christian is a servant of Jesus Christ. The nation of Israel understood what David had done for them. The king saved us from the hand of our enemies. He delivered us from the hand of the Philistines. Do you understand what Jesus has done for you? King Jesus has done great things for you. He's delivered you from your sin. He's promised you eternal life. He's created a perfect plan for your life. You were created for a specific purpose. He'll help you walk in it. But much like King David, Jesus will not force himself onto the throne in your life or in my life. You must put him there. If you removed him, you must reinstate him. If you've never put him there, you must be the one to put him there. Could David force himself on the throne of Israel again? Absolutely he could, but he's not going to do that. Could Jesus Christ force himself on the throne in somebody's life? Sure he could. But you know what he does? He tears down the Absaloms in your life. He tears down the things that you heap up for yourself, the things that you're going to be led by, your dreams, your visions, your hopes, your wants, and he takes them all down and says, will you put me there? Will you allow me to rule your life? Will you allow my choices to be number one in your life? Will you trust me to do it? Or do you still say, no, no, I want to do that. No, no, you can have this part of my life, God, but you can't have that part of my life. You can have this, you can have that, but I'm the one that's going to make the final choice. That's not how a Christian should live. You see, as a Christian, if in fact we do heap something up for us or someone up for us or something or some desire, and that becomes a thing that's ruling over us, we should quickly we should quickly repent of that and tear it down and reinstate Jesus as the king in our life. So let's see if Jesus comes, or da- Jesus, let's see if David comes back as king over the nation Israel. Verse 11. So King David sent to Zadok and Abathar the priests, and he said, Speak to the elders of Judah, saying, Why are you the last to bring back to his house? Why are you the last to bring the king back to his house, since the words of all Israel have come to the king to his very house? You are my brethren, you are my bone and my flesh. Why then are you the last to bring back the king? So David sends out two messengers asking the tribe of Judah, hey, how come you haven't asked me to be king yet? Go, send, go, go talk to them, find out what's going on. Why are you the last ones? You see, Jesus, or Jesus now I'm going to be saying Jesus to David all night tonight. David is, is saying to the tribe of Judah, hey, listen, I am from the tribe of Judah. That's me. You're my family. You're my flesh. You're my blood. Why haven't you asked me to come back and rule the nation Israel again and take my place on the throne of Israel? You see, it's so cool. And Alan Redpath reminds us, David didn't lift a finger to reestablish his authority. He didn't lift a finger. His return to sovereignty was decided by the voluntary submission of his kinsmen and their loving obedience to his will. Is that not exactly what Jesus Christ He will not lift a finger to take the authority, to take the reins, to take the rule over your life. The question is, will you voluntarily submit to it? Will you look at the things that God says in the scriptures that are good and do them? And will you look at the things that God says are bad and stay away from them? Will you heed the warnings the scripture has has for us? You know, so often we look at what the scripture says and the warnings that are there, and we just, we think, oh, he just doesn't understand today's culture. You know, that, that's fine for those people back then, but they didn't have the internet. That's fine for those people back then. They didn't have 
they didn't live in the United States of America like we know it today. And we can always try to worm our way out of it, understand and get it through our minds as quickly and as soon as possible. The warnings in Scripture for us are to protect us. They are for your best interest. If you were walking down a hallway and there was a door and it said danger, explosives, do not enter, would you open the door? If you did, it would go boom. And you'd go, well, I shouldn't open the door. The signs are there for a reason. They're for our best interest. We need to understand that. David didn't reestablish himself. He's waiting for the nation to reestablish him. And he tells these two guys, he tells them Zadok and Abathar. Also, I want you to say something in verse 13 to a guy by the name of Amasa. He says, this is what I want you to say to Amasa. He said, are you not my bone and my flesh? God do so to me and more also if you are not commander of the army before me continually in the place of Joab. Ooh, we know who Joab is, right? Joab was the commander of David's army. Joab is the one that came to him last week and talked to him and told him he needed to get out in the gates with the people. Joab is the one who told him to quit whining about the death of Absalom because Absalom would have killed him. Joab is the one that's been kind of David's right-hand man, always looking out for David. And now he just said something to, he said, he tells these two guys, go tell Amasa, I'm going to replace Joab and you're going to be the commander of my army. And you go, Rob, who's Amasa? That doesn't make sense. I don't, I don't remember who that is. Who is that? That was the commander over Absalom's army. Amasa was the commander over Absalom's army. He had defected from David because he's actually David's nephew. He's David's sister's Abigail's son, and he became the commander over Absalom's army. And now David says to his nephew Amasa, I'm going to replace Joab with you. Why would he do such a thing? A couple of suggestions we don't know for sure. Perhaps it's to put Joab in his place for killing Absalom. Remember, David made a pretty clear command, I didn't want Absalom killed. And what did Joab do? Joab personally killed Absalom. Perhaps that's the reason that David is now removing him from his command. Or perhaps he wants to offer a gesture, of gesture a good gesture of reconciliation to, support the, to the supporters of Absalom. Perhaps all the people in Israel that supported Absalom, now he's going to say, listen, I want to show you guys that I'm not mad at you. I want to show you guys I'm not afraid of you. I want to show you guys that, that this is okay. We're, we're, we're going to reunite and come back together. Maybe that's why he did that, but we're not sure. It could be any one of those reasons. So David sent word to those who had not asked him to come back as king, and let's see how they respond. Verse 14. It says, So he swayed the hearts of all the men of Judah just as the heart of one man. So that they sent this word to the king. Return you and all your servants. It says that David swayed the hearts of all the men of Judah. He swayed them. But it says just as the hearts of one man. That means that when it says just as the hearts of one man, it indicates that the decision was unanimous. They were, they were acting as one person. It wasn't like, you know, 50% said, all right, let's take David. The other 50% said, well... If we don't take him, he's probably going to kill us anyway. So, no, it says it's a unanimous decision. Let's put David back on the throne. Let's put him back on the throne of Israel. It was unanimous. He, notice how he did it. He didn't do it by force. He swayed the hearts. David would not come back until he was welcomed by all the hearts of the men, hearts, hearts of all of them. And, that could, and it could not be forced. Their hearts had to be swayed. That is so much like the Lord in our life. Think of it this way. God will not force his reign on you or on me. He won't. We must welcome his reign. He will not force our heart's response. Our hearts must be swayed. What is it that sways our hearts? It's the word of God and it's the Holy Spirit. 
Those are the things, those are the two things, God's word and the Holy Spirit. Notice David sent two witnesses to testify. The two witnesses I think that are going to sway our hearts towards the things of God are the word of God, the scriptures as we study them, and the Holy Spirit. Then David returned to Jerusalem in verse 15. Then the king returned and came to the Jordan and Judah came to Gilgal to meet the king, to escort the king across the Jordan. Now, it's going to get really good here. As David returns to Jerusalem, he's going to be met by about three different people from his past. And what we're going to find out is each of these people treated him differently. Some treated him very poorly. Some treated him very well. But what I want you to focus on is his response. I want you to see how David treats the different people in his past. Because like I said, some of them treated him pretty bad. And let's take a look. He says here in verse uh, 15. Then the king returned and he came to the Jordan and Judah came from Gilgal to meet the king to escort the king across the Jordan. And Shimei, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, who was from Bahurim, hurried and came down to meet the men of Judah to meet King David. There were a thousand men of Benjamin with him and Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, and his 15 sons and his 20 servants with him. And they went over the Jordan before the king. Then the ferry boat went across to carry over the king's household and to do what he thought Good. So what's, if you can get the picture, that David is, is fled into the wilderness. He's now coming back. We talked about when David left. He left the, the city of Jerusalem, which sits up on a hill. He came down the steep incline, down into the Kidron Valley. He crossed the brook Kidron, went up onto the Mount of Olives, and went eastward. Now he's coming back in that same direction. They're talking about crossing the Jordan River there. So he's not quite back to the city of Jerusalem. He's crossing the Jordan River. And there's two people that were mentioned here, Shimei and Ziba. Shimei and Ziba. Now, I don't, some of you are going, I, don't, I know we, maybe we talked about them. I don't remember who they are. Let's just first quickly mention Ziba. Who was Ziba? Ziba was the servant of King Saul, who then became the servant of Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was King Saul's grandson. You had King Saul, you had Jonathan, who was a very good friend of King David, and then Jonathan's son is Mephibosheth. So Ziba and Mephibosheth were together. Now, when, when, uh, when David was leaving Jerusalem, Ziba came out to David, and David said, hey, where's Mephibosheth? And, and, and Ziba told David, he said, listen, Mephibosheth, he's staying behind. He's staying behind. He doesn't want anything to do with this. He thinks you and Absalom, and I'm going to summarize here, he thinks you and Absalom are going to kill each other over all this, and then he's going to be returned to the throne like it is, belongs in his family from King Saul through Jonathan on down to him. So Ziba tells David, Mephibosheth wants nothing to do with him. The problem with that, it was a lie. It wasn't true. It was all made up. David, in response, says, well, then I'm going to take all of all of Mephibosheth's land and I'm going to give it to you Ziba so now you are the owner of all the land because you remember David restored all of King Saul's land to his grandson Mephibosheth because Ziba lies David says well I'm going to take all the land from from Mephibosheth and I'm going to give it to you Ziba now the interesting thing is there's nothing more said about Ziba in scripture other than what we're going to cover tonight, that we, we don't really hear of his repentance. We don't really hear if he makes right with David. We kind of just assume that he does because it says he's going back to Jerusalem, but we really don't hear. The next person that's mentioned there is Shimei. Shimei. Now, do you remember who Shimei was? We talked about Shimei. Shimei was the distant relative of King Saul, but this is the guy who was cursing David as he was leaving Jerusalem. 
David is at his low point. He's being forced out of Jerusalem. Remember what he was doing? He was yelling at him. He was screaming at him. He was throwing stones at him. He was kicking dust at him. He was really trying to take David, telling David, you're getting what you deserve. You took the throne from my, my, my family, from King Saul, and now here you're getting exactly what you deserve. And remember what happened? One of David's servants goes, listen, can I just go cut this guy's head off? Can I, can I just go take care of this problem? And what did David say? No. The Lord is allowing this for a reason in my life. There's something he wants to show me. There's something he needs to tell me. Don't touch him. So now, here's Shimei. He said this to David when David was leaving Jerusalem in 2 Samuel chapter 16, verses 7 and 8. This is how he talked to David. Come out. Come out, you bloodthirsty man, you rogue. The Lord has brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom, your son, So now you are caught in your own evil because you are a bloodthirsty man. So Shimei was really giving it to David, really kicking a guy when he's down, really kind of throwing, throwing, you know, uh, salt on a wound, if you would, really just kind of really giving it to him. But now, what do you think Shimei's thinking now? Wait a minute. This wasn't supposed to go this way. Absalom was supposed to beat David. Now, Now here comes David and all his men back in. Now what do we do? Now how do we handle this? Look what Shimei does in verse 18. Notice his plea to David. Now Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king when he had crossed the Jordan. And he said to the king, Do not let my lord impute iniquity to me, or remember what wrong your servant did on the day that my lord the king left Jerusalem. That the king should take it to heart. For I, your servant, know that I have sinned. Therefore, here I am, the first to come today of all the house of Joseph to go down to meet my lord, the king. After sinning greatly against David, notice his confession before David. It's a great picture of what repentance should look like. It's one of the greatest pictures of repentance in the Bible. It's a beautiful picture because we talk about what does it mean to repent? What does repentance look like in somebody's life? Right there you see it in Shimei's life. He knew that he had wronged David. David knew that he had wronged David. He knew that David could have killed him before and now he comes out first. But I want you to see something. There's four characteristics in there that I think are key into his repentance. If you're taking notes, jot them down. Number one, notice his humility. Notice his humility. He comes out, and what does he do? He falls down before the king. He falls down. Not only his humility and his actions, but his posture. He falls before the king. He recognizes what he did was wrong before the king. Notice the humble heart. True repentance will always come with humility. Number two, notice the honor. The honor that he gives to King David. Shimei honored David by falling on his face. He recognizes, calls him king, calls himself servant. He has a good picture. He has a good perspective on who's in charge and who's not. That's where we mess up sometimes. You see, sometimes in our life, we don't realize the Lord is in charge. He's the master. We're the servant. Shimei comes. He's got that perspective right. He realizes, David, you are the king, and I am your servant. And he comes to him, not in an arrogant way, but he comes to him humbly. Here I am, David. Here I am, I blew it. True repentance will always be honoring to the one whom you are repenting. 
True repentance will always be, you'll, you'll give honor to the one that you're repenting. You're, you know, in other words, even when we repent as Christians before the Lord, shouldn't we come to the Lord humbly? Shouldn't we come to the Lord honoring him, realizing in order to receive salvation, I have to realize that I need salvation. I have to come to the Lord and realize that I'm a sinner, that I've made a mistake, and I have to give him, I have to recognize him as the honor him as the one that can save me. If I don't recognize that, then I'm missing out, I'm missing that point. Number three, he comes to David honestly. He comes to him honestly. Shimei confessed his faults to David. He said in verse 20, For I, your servant, know that I have sinned. I, your servant, know that I have sinned. If you want to come to the Lord in repentance, you have to come to the Lord honestly. You have to come to the Lord and confess fully. Not a partial confession. Not I'm only going to confess this part of my life. I'm not going to confess that part of my life. I have to come to the Lord and repent fully, repent honestly. And that means I have to be willing to admit who I really am. Who I really am. Who, what really goes on inside my mind. What really goes on inside my heart. Lord, I need you. I need you. I, I realize that I need to be willing to come to the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me for, and be able to list the things. I need to, Lord, show us those things. True repentance will always be honest and it will always be complete. It won't be a partial list. It'll be the list. It'll, it'll be the thing that you're, it's, you don't have to wonder. It's just, it's just there for you know what you're going to need to repent of. Number four, we see Shimei come in humility. He comes honoring David. He comes honestly before David. And number four, his repentance is action. It moves him to do something. I couldn't think of another H letter word. We got humility, honor, honest, and then action. Sorry. <laughs> I tried to think of another H-letter word, but I couldn't. It's action. Notice what it says. His repentance moves him to do something. It says, therefore, here I am, the first to come today of all the house of Joseph to go down to meet my Lord, the king. It moves him from the place that he's at to a different place in humility before the one to which he is repenting. It has action. It's like this. True repentance will always move you to action. It'll tur- it'll, you'll physically turn away from that thing you're repenting from. You'll go the other direction. You see, saying you're sorry for something, is that the same as repentance? Not at all. The word repent means to turn away. It means to go the other direction. It means I'm no longer traveling this way. I'm no longer following this thing. I am now following the Lord. I am now going in this direction. So for, if, if I have a sin in my life, I go, Lord, I'm sorry for that. That's not repentance. Repentance looks like you come to the Lord humbly. You fall down on your face before the Lord. You, Lord, forgive me for, and you list out the very things that you need forgiveness for. You come to the Lord honestly, not trying to, well, Lord, I'm not really that bad. I'm, I'm a pretty good guy. You know, I might have this one little thing over my life, but the rest of my life, you know, I'm pretty squared away. You, you don't, you, you know, I'm all right. No, you have to really understand who you really are before the Lord. And the Bible tells us that our good deeds are like filthy rags. The Bible tells us there's none righteous, no, not one. So when we stand before the Lord, we can stand before God only covered by the blood of Jesus Christ and no other way. We can come boldly into the throne room of God as the writer of Hebrews proclaims because we're covered with the blood of Jesus Christ, not because we have a good deed or a series of good deeds or a bunch of good deeds. You see, when we repent, when we repent, we come to the Lord the exact way that Shimei is coming to David. We come to the Lord humbly. We come to the Lord honoring him, realizing he's the master, we're the servant. Notice what Shimei also noticed. He noticed that David had the ability, he had the ability to impute iniquity to him. He recognizes David's power. We have to recognize the Lord has the power to forgive our sins, that he, that he paid that price. 
But when you repent, there's sometimes, even maybe that's yourself, who think that you don't deserve to be forgiven. Maybe there's some people in your life that don't think that you could ever be forgiven. Maybe that's yourself. You don't think that you could ever be forgiven. And that's true here of Shimei as well. Look at verse 21. But Abishai, the son of Zeruah, answered and said, Shall not Shimei be put to death for this because he cursed the Lord's anointed? This is the same guy that wanted to kill him last time, by the way. He says, David, you didn't let me kill him last time. Now, you're not going to buy this, are you? You're not really going to give in to this. I mean, this guy's trouble. If, if you don't do something about him now, he's going to curse you. The next time something goes wrong, you, you, really, you really need to do something about this. Look what David says in verse 22. What have I, have, what do I, what have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruah, that you should be adversaries to me today? Shall any man be put to death today in Israel? For do I not know that today I am king over Israel? Therefore the king said to Shimei, you shall not die. And the king swore to him. So David says, no, he's not going to die today. David showed forgiveness to the man who had bitterly cursed him when he was at the lowest point in his life. Think about that. David just showed forgiveness to the, gave, forgave the man who, who cursed him, who kicked dirt at him, which, meant, which means that's like saying, I want you dead, who threw rocks at him, who said all kinds of bad things about him. And David says, no, 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 he's not going to die today. But notice why. Notice what he says there. He says, for do I not know that today I am king over Israel? In other words, David's saying, listen, God has made me king over Israel. I'm not worried about this man. I'm not worried about what he can do. He can do nothing against God. Don't miss this point here. For I do not know, or for do I not know that today I am king over Israel? By David saying that, he's saying that he has established as king over Israel, and he's saying it has nothing to do with me. I'm not worried about my enemies. That's God's problem. I'm not worried about those people who came against me in the past. That's God's problem. I'm not worried about that kind of stuff. Today I am king over Israel, and that's just the way that it is, he says. Charles Spurgeon had this to say about this passage. He said, perhaps you have been like Shimei. You cursed King David and you are afraid that Jesus will never forgive you. But David forgave Shimei and Jesus is ready to forgive you. He delights in mercy. I do believe that the harps of heaven never give to Christ such happiness as he has when he forgives the ungodly. And he says, thy sins are forgiven, go in peace. You see, there's a good chance that some of us may have been like Shimei, maybe cursing God, maybe not even establishing God on, on the throne of our life. Maybe there's been something else on the throne of our life for a long time, and we've maybe been pretending that it's God on the throne of our life, and that's not really what it is. It's something else. How cool is it that David could readily forgive a man who deserved to die, and how could he do that? Because he was secure, knowing that God gave him the throne. God... The, insecurity is sometimes what moves people to revenge it's what moves people to holding on to bitterness or unforgiveness david could forgive because he was insecure in who he was in god he was the king because god had placed him there you see sometimes unforgiveness in our life is the symptom and not the problem sometimes bitterness in our life is the symptom and not the problem because we don't understand who we are in christ 
Because we don't understand that God has forgiven us. And you don't realize how much you've been forgiven. Therefore, you're not willing to pass that on to somebody else. Did Shimei deserve to be forgiven? No. Not at all. Was he wrong? Absolutely. Do you deserve to be forgiven? Not at all. I don't deserve to be forgiven. I'm wrong in my sin, just like you're wrong in your sin. But I will accept the gift of of mercy and grace from the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll accept that. Now, let's look at Mephibosheth. Verse 24. Now Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. This is the, remember who this is? This is, the, this is Ziba's, Ziba's uh, master. Ziba was the servant of Saul, and then he became the servant of Mephibosheth. Now here comes Mephibosheth down to meet David. Uh, when this, remember the story when David left Jerusalem, Mephibosheth's servant Ziba came out and said to him that Mephibosheth was going to stay behind and he wasn't with David Okay, remember all that? Good. Now he comes down to meet him and he says, and he, so verse 24, now Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king and he had not cared for his feet nor trimmed his mustache nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he returned in peace. So it was when he had come to Jerusalem to meet the king, the king said to him, go take a shower, you stink. No, he didn't say that. He said, why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? Mephibosheth, why didn't you go with me? Where were you, Mephibosheth? How, what happened? Notice he hadn't cared for himself, as if he was in mourning. And David wants to know why he wasn't there. And he answers him in verse 26. He says, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me. For your servant said, I will saddle a donkey for myself, that I may ride on it and go to the king. Because your servant is lame, and he has slandered your servant to my lord the king. But my lord the king is like the angel of God. Therefore do what is good in your eyes. For all my father's house were but dead men before the Lord, my Lord the King. You, yet you set your servant among those who eat at your own table. Therefore, what right have I still to cry out any more to the king? Mephibosheth was slandered before David, but notice he didn't defend himself. He didn't demand a hearing. He knew David had already given him more than he ever deserved or more than he, more than he could ever want. And he also knew and if David were to take it away now, he'd still be ahead because he'd been given so much in the past. So here's the picture. Mephibosheth comes down. David says, hey, where were you? And he says, listen, David. He goes, I haven't, I haven't even, I've been in mourning since you left. I'm lame. I can't, remember, he's lame. He can't walk. I've been here. I haven't, I haven't, I, it says I, I, I haven't cleaned myself up. I have my feet. There's probably sores on his feet. Here I am. And look what the king says to him in verse 29. Why do you speak any more of your matters? I have said, you and Ziba divide the land. Remember, Ziba was the servant that came out. And now David just said, listen, listen, Mephibosheth, you take half the land, Ziba takes half the land, you'll both be satisfied, there's plenty of land, just be done with it. That's just, just, just don't worry about it, just, just be that way. Mephibosheth says, I've, you've taken me into your house, you've done everything for me, I don't need to ask anything for you. And David says, look, I'm going to give you half the land back. Just half of it, have it back yours. And Mephibosheth says in verse 30, he says to the king, rather, look at this, he says, let him take it all. And as much as my lord the king has come back in peace to his own house. Mephibosheth says to David, I don't want the land. Give it to him. David, your reign in Jerusalem is more important to me. You've come back into your house. That's more valuable to me. I don't care about all this stuff, David. Just give it away. What I care about is my relationship with you, the fact that you are back on the throne of Israel. G. Campbell Morgan said this, For his own enrichment, this man cared nothing at all. 
It was everything to him that, that his king should come into the possession of his kingdom in peace. It is to be feared that too often we are more concerned about our rights than about his rights, meaning the rights of Christ. It's a great and glorious thing when our loyalty and love make us far more concerned about the victories of our Lord than about our own unquestioned rights. Yet that should be the normal attitude of all who sit at the king's table. You see, he's relating this to to the picture of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ coming into his kingdom. But we get so concerned about what's going on here on this earth. We get so concerned about our stuff. We get so concerned about our land and our houses and our cars and, and all the stuff that's going on around us. And, and the picture that, that, that Mephibosheth says, I don't care about that stuff. Give it to him. All I want to see is you ruling and reigning in your kingdom. What? That's the heart of a Christian. It should be the heart towards our Lord. Lord, I don't care about all this stuff. I just want to serve you. I just want to sit at your table and eat. Because remember, Mephibosheth was given the... Given the, the, the uh, Uh, the benefit of sitting at the king's table and dining. And Mephibosheth says, I don't care about the land. I don't care about the crops. I don't care about the money that's tied up there. I don't care about any of that stuff. I just want to sit at your table. That should be our heart for the Lord. You see, sometimes we get that backwards. Our cares and our concerns for the world far outweigh our cares and our concerns for the kingdom of God. We will spend nights worrying about our finances. Yet when's the last time you laid awake at night and couldn't sleep because you shared the gospel with somebody and they rejected it. When's the last time we laid awake at night and couldn't sleep because we were praying for his kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Not my will. On earth as it is in heaven. When's the last time we were so concerned about the kingdom and the things of God that we would, we, it kept us awake at night and forced us to our knees to pray. Man, that's convicting, isn't it? I'm convicted when I hear that. I'm convicted when I write that stuff to say to you guys. Because I'm the same way. I can lay at night and worry about something in business or worry about this or worry about that. But when it comes to the things of God, just, ah, God's got that. You know, I'm like, man, not, I want Mephibosheth's heart. I don't care about the stuff. I don't care. That's the heart I want. I don't care about the land. I care about you, Lord. And what, I want to sit at your table. I want to dine at your table. When you get separated from God, you ever have one of those down moods where you just, you're, you're, you're cranky? You know, you just, maybe you wake up that way. Whatever the reason is, you're cranky. You know, you just, you're, just, you're just kind of in a miserable mood. What do you do to get back with the Lord? Is that your first person you run to? Or do we have a coping mechanism that we run to? Is there something we do to, you know, to, to calm our mind? Is there something we do? Is there something we take? Is there some sin we indulge in? Is there something that we do to indulge our flesh so it'll make us comfortable. We want to be made more comfortable. You see, as a Christian, we should go and say, you know what, I don't care about all this stuff. I care about dining at the king's table. That's where I need to find my comfort. That's where I need to find my security. That's where I need to find my peace is dining at the king's table. Not dining at the dining room table. Not going on a vacation. Not going to... I mean, those are all great things, but where do you really run to when you're separated from... The, you ever feel that way? You ever just feel like I'm dry? I just, I'm just dry. I need to get close to the Lord. Where do you run to? Having a bad day? What do you look to for comfort? Would it be beneficial for you to pull up a chair at the king's table and say, Lord, here I am. I'm not worried about the other stuff. I'm not worried about the problem at work. I'm not worried about the problem at home. I'm not, I'm, I just need to dine with you. I need to sup with you. I need to commune with you. I need to spend that time with you. I need to be refilled. I need to be refreshed. I need to be comforted. You need to find the peace that you bring. You see, we look in all these other places, and what we find is we believe lies that take us in those directions. And when we get there, what do we, what do we find? Emptiness. 
It's emptiness. It's pure emptiness. I want that heart that Mephibosheth has. He says, King, I don't want the land. Give it to him. Get him have it all. It doesn't matter. I, I'm with you. I'm, I'm with you, King. And I get to sit at your table. That's all that I need. That's the heart that we should have. Now on to the third guy. Barzillai. Verse 31, and Barzillai the Gileadite came down from Rogelim, and he went across the Jordan with the king to escort him across the Jordan. Remember who this was? Barzillai was the really wealthy man, that came, older man, came and he met David as he was leaving, and he provided food for all David's men. So here's Barzillai, he's coming back. He treated David well. Nothing wrong with his interaction with David, provided food for the Lord's anointed. Really cool thing. Look at verse 32. Now, Brazilier was a very aged man. He was 80 years old. He had provided the king with supplies while he stayed at Mahanam, for he was a very rich man. And the king said to Brazilier, come across with me. I'll provide for you while you are with me in Jerusalem. But Brazilier said to the king, how long do I have to live that I should go up with the king to Jerusalem? I'm today 80 years old. Can I discern between the good and the bad? Can your servant taste what I eat or what I drink? Can I hear any longer the voice of singing men and the singing women? Why then should your servant be a further burden to my Lord the King? So notice what he says. He says, look, David, I'm 80. You have all that fancy food. I can't taste it anymore. You got all that singing in the, in the, pal, in the, in the king's palace. I can't even hear it anymore. I'm too old to even really know what's going on. I, David, I'm 80. I, just, just go on. He says in verse 36, your servant will go a little while across the Jordan with the king and why should the king repay me with such a reward? I didn't do it to get repaid, David. I just do it, did it because I wanted to serve you. He says in verse 37, please let your servant turn back again that I may die in my own city near the grave of my father and my mother. But here is your servant, Chimham. Let him cross over with my lord, the king, and do for him what seems good to you. And the king answered, Chimham shall cross over with me, and I will do for him what seems good to you. Now whatever you request of me, I will do for you. And all the people went over the Jordan, and when the king crossed over, the king kissed Brazilii and blessed him and returned to his own place. So Brazilii says, listen, I'm too old to go, but hey, can you take Chimham with you? And, and most Bible scholars believe Chimham was his son. He says, will you take my son, will you take Chimham with you and, and give him? And David says, Absolutely. And he would, David would even say on his deathbed, remember to be, uh, remember Chimham. Don't forget Chimham. Make sure you're, uh, oh, I forgot the word that he used. Oh, well, can't remember. Hmm? Kind? Kind? Yeah, that'd be a good way. To, I, I forget what it was. It was in Kings. So we see these three guys that come to David. Shimei, who had cursed David and threw things at David. We see Ziba, who had lied and used David. And then we have Brazilii, who provided honestly to David, who gave David and his men food. Notice how he treated each one of them. Didn't he relatively treat them the same? He forgave, he forgave Shimei. Ziba, we didn't really learn too much about. Mephibosheth came to him also, but that, he was just lied about. He hadn't done anything wrong, but he restored him and brought him back to the king's table. I love the picture. I, I really, I like Shimei. I like the fact that David forgave him. I like the fact that he repented. I like the picture of repentance that he put up there for us to look and for us to follow. I, I think it's really cool that we see that humble ourselves, honor, honest, and our, our act has to move us to action. But now in verse 40, he moves on a little further, and we'll finish the end of the chapter tonight. Oh, we've got plenty of time. 
Maybe we'll do the next chapter too. No, just kidding. Verse 40, now the king went to Gilgal and Chimham went on with him and all the people of Judah escorted the king and also half the people of Israel. Just then all the men of Israel came to the king and they said to the king, why have our brethren, the men of Judah, stolen you away and brought the king, his household and all David's men with him across the Jordan? So all the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, because the king is a close relative of ours. Why then are you angry over this matter? Have we ever eaten at the king's expense, or has he given us any gift? And the men of Israel answered the men of Judah, and they said, We have ten shares in the king, therefore we also have more right to David than you. Why then do you despise us? Were we not the first to advise, bring back our king? Yet the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. What's taking place is the ten tribes in the north that would later become known as the nation Israel. The two tribes in the south, Judah and Benjamin, would, would sort of merge and become known as Judah. We see the fracture happening right here in the very beginning. Okay? Later they will actually do battle with one another. But right here that we're seeing the fracture happen. The men of Judah are escorting David and his people back. The men of Israel said, wait a minute, why are they asking one another back? And there's kind of a little bit of bickering going back and forth. And, it, and it's just kind of, kind of left there. But I want you to notice and take note and be reminded of this for our future studies. This is where the division began. Although David is being reinstated unanimously, there's a little bit of bickering that's happening, happening back and forth between the ten tribes in the north and the two tribes in the south. Now, I want to close tonight with, with a couple of thoughts. As we looked at the way that Shimei cursed and threw things at David, then David forgave him, I think it's only fair to ask this question, how do we treat those who mistreated us? How do you, mis how do you treat those people who have mistreated you? If the Shimeis in your life, the problem people, the ones that are talking bad about you, the ones that are telling you bad things, they're calling you names, they're kicking dirt on you, they're throwing things at you. Would you be willing to forgive them if they were to repent like Shimei did? I hope the answer to that would be yes. What about the people that lied to you? Ziba totally took advantage of David, totally lied about the situation, lied about the circumstances, totally. Now we're not told what happened, but it would appear as though there was some sort of forgiveness there. How would you handle that person in your life? You see, everybody likes a Brazilian. Just give me everything I need, everything I want. Just provide for me and, and don't ask for anything in return. Everybody wants that person in their life, right? Hopefully you have somebody like that in your life to come alongside of you. But you're also going to find that you have Shimeis, you have Zibas, you have Mephibosheths, and Brazilians in your life. Do you think David here represents a picture of the Lord? Not saying he's the Lord. Not, don't misunderstand but it's the same way that David is treating these people or the same way that the Lord treats us. The same mercy and grace that David showed to Shimei, the same way Ziba, the same way he restored Mephibosheth. And when I look at this, I just see that's, I want to be Mephibosheth. I want to be the guy that looks and says, you know what, Lord, I just, I just want your kingdom to come. I just want to be focused about your business. I know there's a lot of distractions in the world. I know there's a lot of stuff going on outside, but I need to be focused there. And if we're the person, maybe you are the Shimei. Maybe you've been kicking dirt on somebody. Maybe you've been throwing rocks at somebody. Maybe you're the one that, maybe, let's just flip it all around again. Maybe that's you tonight. You say, well, what do I got to do? You got to do the same thing Shimei did. You go to the person that you've been wrong, that you wronged. 
You fall down on your face, humbly. You honor them and realize who they are before you. Not in a false way, but in a true way. You, re- you recognize who they are in your life. and You be honest with them on what you've said to them, what you've done to them, what, how you've hurt them. Complete and total repentance. Not partial repentance, but complete and total repentance. Truly opening your heart to them and saying, listen, I'm sorry I have done these things to you. And don't just do these things. Tell them what you're sorry for. Tell them what you, what, th- th- apologize for those things. Truly go to them. Complete and total repentance. And also, like Shimei, there's got to be action behind that repentance. There has to be a turning away, going in a new direction. There has to be a change. For if you were to repent for the same thing every day, would it ever be any different? It would be the same thing over and over again. You see, as I look at all these different characters tonight, I realize that we could all be one of them or multiple of them. We could all be Shimei. We could be like Ziba, where we've lied to people. We've taken advantage of them. We could be like Barzillai. We could be like all those people. But I like the way that it ended up. Shimei repented. David forgave. Barzillai said, David, I don't need your stuff. Take my son. Take Shimham. Take him with you. Mephibosheth. Love it. Don't want the land, David. I just want to eat at your table. Just want the fellowship with you. That's all I need. That's what we need to be. May we be people who are quick to repent, both to the Lord and to those that we've wronged. May we come to them humbly. May we honor them, honoring Jesus in our repentance. May we be honest with them and may it create action or a true turning away. May we treat people like Brazilii, providing for their needs, not expecting anything in return, even when it's offered. No, thank you. I don't need that. And if there's any other king besides King Jesus that's ruling your life tonight, would you remove that person? Would you remove that flesh? Would you remove that thing that seems to be controlling you and driving you in a certain direction? Would you be willing to remove that? And would you be willing to put Jesus on the throne of your life or back on the throne of your life? Would you be willing to come under his rule and his authority? Or do you simply want him to come under yours? Do you want him to do what you tell him to do? You see, I've learned that it's much better if I do it his way than my way. Although I can go to the Lord and say, Lord, I want you to do it my way. And he might even honor that once in a while. But what I've come to learn is his way is much better than mine. Because he knows the future. And he really does have my best interest at heart and your best interest at heart. So Before we close, we've covered a lot tonight. Covered the rest of chapter 19. Let's just take a few minutes. Go to the Lord in prayer quietly. And uh, if something's convicted your heart. If you need to finish writing a few notes or or whatever you're doing, just spend a few, just two or three minutes with the Lord. This is quiet time prayer just between you and him. So, Father, we just come before you. We thank you for the study. We thank you for these men that you've uh, illustrated for us in this this scripture. And, And, Lord, wherever we're at, would you show us if we're Shimei? Would you show us if we're Ziba? Would you show us if we're Mephibosheth or Brazilii? Or would you show us where we fit in this tonight? What part, of the, what part of this is, is meant for us to hear? And Lord, as you show us that, would you give us direction? If it's repentance, it needs to happen. May we follow Shimei's example. And maybe it's somebody that's repented to us and we need to grant forgiveness to. Will we follow David's example? So Father, would you minister to us now? You examine our life. You show us. Just take a few minutes and go to the Lord in prayer.